What is up, everybody? I have Shanak Roy on today, CEO and founder of Yellow Dig. Really cool journey on his way here. He has a B2B2C model, which is wrapped in an enterprise motion, which is something totally unique that nobody's ever talked about on the show before. And on top of it, he came from a MIT, then he went into a corporate consulting background to a founder. So super interesting, unique and different. You're not going to want to miss this. Check it out. It's a great episode. How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to the Scale Up Show. This is your host, Ryan Staley, and I have a very special guest with me today. I have Shanak Roy. Shanak is the founder and CEO of Yellow Dig, which is a community-driven active learning platform adopted by over 130 colleges and universities. And prior to that, he spent a decade advising global companies on tech, strategy, and growth with a really cool consulting background. Shanak, happy to have you on the show, man. Welcome. Yep. Ryan, great to be here. Yes. And I like it. You're, you're flying the company flag. You got the shirt. You know, for those of you only listening, not checking this out on YouTube, he's got the shirt with yellow dig and he's representing. So, Shanak, let's do a real quick revenue rundown, just kind of kick things off so people understand where you're at in terms of the revenue journey. OK, what's your ARR range or um, kind of stage that you're at? So we launched our platform in uh, late uh, 2019 before the pandemic. Um, we are serving about 130 universities and range is about sub 10 million. Okay, excellent. Uh, what's your go to, your primary go to market strategy? So our go to market is what we call B two B two C. So our buyers are institutions, any academic institutions, colleges, universities, corporate training, K twelve, um, you know, deans, directors uh, who are making these decisions. But our uh, buying decision maker is faculty or any teacher who is actually teaching and using our platform. Okay, we're definitely going to dig into that. That's super unique. How large is your team? We have 30 people. Okay, 30 people. And you briefly mentioned your solution. Can you just give a little bit more on exactly what, what Yellow Dig does so people have an understanding? So, you know, if you have, uh, if you are going to a college or university, I've been, all of us have been there, um, you know, these schools have not used technology to its full potential. So if you go to a classroom, it's mostly teacher driven. Sometimes they use something called a learning management system. Um, you know, through the pandemic, most of us have seen Zoom classrooms and things like that. But that's just a very limited use of technology. So what we do is that our platform creates this connected learning environments where all students, as if they're sitting in a you know, classroom in physical space, but they have the similar experience online, where they're talking to one another, asking questions, have access to faculties whenever they need to, can actually do case studies online, they can do simulations online, and essentially create this like much more engaged experience that doesn't exist, um, especially online, but also doesn't exist in a physical classroom. So we sell to both stakeholders. So if, they're, if it's an online school, they can use our technology, uh, if it's a fully, you know, brick and mortar kind of a school, they can use our technology as well to kind of make it much more engaging. Excellent. I think that sounds that sounds pretty cool from a learning experience. Are you bootstrapped or funded? No, we have raised about six million. Okay. Um, you know, we went through the pivot. So initially, we raised about a couple of million, um, and that led to the first version of the technology, which we kind of revamped completely and can raise more money to kind of build a new technology that we built. Excellent. 
So let's let's do this. Let's let's get into your your journey a little bit, because, you know, I've, I've heard of, of people leaving the corporate environment and then doing consulting and then turning that consulting into SaaS. I think it was a cool model. The, the interesting thing is your career was always in the consulting world. You went to MIT and and then, you know, you, you had multiple consulting stints. So can you just walk us through your journey and how you kind of got to this point? Uh, to the level where you know you're getting six million in funding and you're you're um, you're, you're growing a, a tech company. So you know my uh, so I was an engineer by training, undergrad in mechanical engineering, but did a little bit of computer science and those kind of projects as well. Uh, then moved into the business side, spent about a decade in consulting. Uh, but you know I was always interested to start a company. It was always in the back of my mind. It's almost like you know that independence that all of us look for. So it was always there. And I also knew that if I do something, I want to do something which is scalable, which is, you know, having a technology product to solve a problem. So these two things I had in my mind. When I left consulting, um, you know, of course, it was a tremendous experience kind of working with all these, you know, companies around the world and kind of, you know, building some basic skill sets. But I didn't know much about building a startup. And that was my learning path. So when I jumped in, I almost felt like, you know, kind of living this high life, you know, executive doing all these things to kind of really going to the ground floor and trying to learn the basics about building a product, you know, trying to build a business model to sell a product and kind of trying to learn about a space like education that we are in. So I would say it was a tremendously learning experience. I I kind of went with this mindset that, you know, I would probably spend two to three years trying to solve a problem, see where it goes, and hopefully we can build something out of it. Um, and and I think the good thing what happened is that, of course, we made all sorts of mistakes. I mean, like anybody, you know, trying to start something new, but we made enough right decisions to get to the point so that we can actually build a product and, you know, raise money and kind of scale the company. So that's kind of briefly my path. Yeah, that's, I, I like that. And I mean, that's kind of where my head's at, too, is like you, you want to build. You always, I've always wanted, I always wanted to start a company, which is why I did. And then you want to make it scalable. So I, I think that's that's super cool. How did you end up in education? You know, the product that we had, um, you know, we used to call it social learning, where the idea was to kind of get people together so that they can learn from one another. Um, and this can be used anywhere, essentially, like when you have a group of people. Um, it so happened that my initial pilots were in a few universities. I had a few professor friends who I kind of went and sold the concept, you know, with a very basic product. They kind of like probably liked me enough to see that, okay, I will give it a try. Uh, they gave it a try and they kind of said that the product sucks, but I like the overall <laughs> concept. So why didn't you build more? Uh, and that was a start. <laughs> they like the concept, but the product sucks. And uh, so that was good, hard, hard, specific feedback. Um, uh, I guess like as you're going through, like what are you doing to grow your company now in this B2B to C model, because I think that's super interesting. And, and maybe what you, to, to start it off, like how would you define that? And then let's get how you're using to grow your company through that model. So the B2B to C is essentially an extension of B2B. So, you know, in a B2B environment, and traditionally a lot of ed- education technology companies have been B2B where they will go to a school, you know, have a meeting with the principal or probably the dean or the director who kind of makes these kind of choices. Um, That's a traditional B2B. It works well. They have the budgets, but the challenge is the sales cycles are pretty long. It could be Mm -hmm. nine to 18 months, sometimes two years. Uh, There's a long decision process. So what we did was we essentially changed that model slightly to make it B2B2C. That's what we call it, where 
we go to a school, but we do not approach the decision maker from a budget standpoint. We go directly to the users um, who are faculty. Hmm. And most faculties have academic freedom. You know, they can decide what textbooks to choose for their classrooms. They can also decide what technology they want to use. Like whether they want to use Zoom or Slack or something else, they can decide that. So we go to them and we essentially sell the value of Yellowdig and we give them um, either a paid pilot or a free pilot. So it depends on the situation. Um, and, you know, essentially they use it for one semester um, and hopefully they like it enough to be a champion. And once we have a champion, then we go and talk to the decision makers um, to, uh, you, know, you know, do the enterprise sale. Okay. So, and let me ask you this. So like, I think that's that's a cool model. So it's a paid pilot. It's probably about three to four months in rank, at length if you're doing a semester, right? Um, how much do you charge for the paid pilot? Like what are ideas and ranges? Yeah, so paid pilots, you know, would be a couple of grand, not more mm-hmm. than that. So these would be pretty small amount. Um, you know, often faculty has what they call courseware. So they kind of buy Yellowdig as a courseware, like a textbook almost. Um, and, and if they don't have that funding, we make it free. So we, we qualify them based on which institution they're coming from, but it's free so they can get started. So money is not a factor for them. They really want to kind of use the technology. So that's kind of the main goal there. Um, and when we go to enterprise, I mean, that contracts are exponentially bigger because now we are trying to sell to the entire school at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and those are you know, much more valuable for us. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. So if you've got a paid pilot of 2K for one group more free, then you're probably talking six figures then for like an enterprise deal or something like that? Yeah, I mean, six figure would be an average enterprise. You know, we can anywhere between 50000 to $500,000. Okay, that's definitely a healthy range. So I, I like that. So it's because most of the time for deals that size, you got to do a pilot anyways, right? So um, I like how you're you're kind of taking the bull by the horns in in doing that. Um, you know, I get what you're talking about where we have the the B two B to C model where you're doing a paid pilot or free pilot, and then into that 50k to 200k range, which totally makes sense. Um, or I'm sorry, not 200k, 500k for an enterprise deal. What, what's the primary mechanism where you're getting into these universities and, and colleges at the end user level? Are you leveraging an outbound strategy? Is it inbound? Like what's the primary pipeline creation method? Primarily inbound for us. Um, really? In the outbounding okay. strategies. Yeah, it's outbounding. We do some outbounding where we have a SDR team that kind of reaches out, but that's a small portion of our lead volume. Uh, majority of lead in our space comes from faculty referring to other faculties. We often invite our users for webinars where we kind of invite them and invite professors like themselves. Like let's say they are a professor in finance in one business school. So we try to reach out to many other finance professors, get them into the same webinar, and they speak about how they're using our platform and seeing what kind of value they're seeing. That is the high quality leads. I mean, that those kind of leads are most valuable for us. You know, we do webinars, we do blogs and eBooks and things like that. Okay. So webinars, blogs, eBooks, how do you get the traffic though for those webinars? Like, I think that's a great mechanism. A lot of people are, what I've heard is not you a know, lot. Traffic is primarily, from, yeah. So the traffic is primarily, you know, you know, we, we, we have like, we do social, we do kind of, you know, Google kind of paid ads and things like that. Uh, to promote our content as much as possible. Um, you know, when we kind of get somebody, let's say, interested in a webinar, we have a content strategy to kind of get them through the pipe. Um, 
you know, that that's about it. Because if you think about the market, right? So there are, you know, about a million instructors or professors in the US who are teaching at around 4,000 universities. So it's a very defined group of people. And, and when they buy technology, they typically buy based on reference from their peer group. So for us, the way we view it is it's a building a kind of community of practice where they kind of adopt a technology, they like it, then they promote it. Um, that's the way. It's not so much about kind of trying to sell them too much into it because, you know, this audience do not like to be sold like, you know, traditional buyers. So in light of that, have you, do you have a community set up for your, your customers and your end users? Yeah, we do have a community that we invite to. So if somebody gets interested in Yellowdig, they can join our community and get experience the platform and get feedback from the instructors. Um, at the same time, we do these webinars and other things to kind of drive that community of practice so on our technology. Okay, cool. And have you systemized any uh, referrals, like customer to prospect referrals at all, as well as a growth strategy? We do that. You know, we do that. Our sales team primarily will use that as a channel. Okay. Excellent. So, um, yeah, so our sales team typically will kind of go ahead and keep sorry. going. You said your sales team will use that. Yeah, right, we're, we had a little tough. Yeah, our sales here. team will. Yeah, so our sales team will, um, you know, typically reach out and um, kind of make sure that uh, they're asking for referrals. It's more of a relationship play. It's more not so much about sending them a link, but we do have that as well. We added it as part of our marketing emails. We get some. We get some, but this space, higher education, I mean, one of the things about this space, it's very, very relationship driven. So where people will refer each other, but not so much based on an email, but they will actually have a conversation. It will say, okay, I know this faculty who is teaching this, who might use your product. That's how the, most of the referrals happen. Gotcha. Okay. So that, that totally makes sense. Uh, what would you say is like your, your single biggest challenge growing right now that you're running into? The challenge for us is the rate of growth. Um, you know, because for us, um, you know, in this space, the, the adoption of technology is almost like a snowball effect where the market adopts it and over time they will spread. It's hard to do any sort of a direct SDR kind of strategy where you can kind of just go and have everybody adopt your technology overnight. Um, you know, so that's something we are pacing our growth based on a realistic adoption curve that we expect you know adoption in a school like a professor adopting us in one new school and then other professors adopting in the same school so there is a kind of a diffusion that happens but there is a certain growth rate that it takes so so we are kind of working through that process because we as a startup company we want to grow as quickly as possible but we also want to be cognizant about the space we are in uh, so balancing that you know on a day-to-day -day basis is my my kind of the hardest job that i have to do oh yeah i, I mean that's the growth is the oxygen in the company, right? So it's like, um, and then you got to manage the technical aspect of it as well. <clears throat> so, um, okay. Well, we're like, I guess, you know, I, I think there's some really unique things. We, going back to the B2B to C model, um, and it sounds like you you hit the end users first, right? Um, and then you do a that pilot model, and then you move up the chain. Is there anything else really unique that you see working well in in that in that motion that was different from before? The other unique thing we do is, um, you know, given in education, it's a very impact driven space. So people ask us about what's the impact of your using your product, you know, in a course or a platform from a learning standpoint, from a retention standpoint, from a student experience standpoint. 
So we do measure those outcomes in our platform. So we pull our users to kind of capture those kind of feedback regularly. And we use that to go back to our clients and share those feedbacks. I mean, especially if it's positive, that, that's a signal for them to grow with us. And if it's negative, the question becomes that, why is it negative? What can we do to make it better? Because technology is part of it. Also using the technology in the right way is part of it as well. So sometimes some of the challenges are in the usage side. So, so some of that helps us to kind of build that relationship. No, it's just not user technology, but also see, talk about the impact side of things. It's kind of unique about us. Okay. The impact. So like, what's the frequency then you go back and give feedback? Like, do you do it quarterly? Do you do it monthly? Like, what do you, how did you like systemize that? So we, we kind of segment our clients into different segments. So we have a group of enterprise clients who are kind of expanding with us rapidly. So for them, we have a client success consultant who would set up quarterly meetings with them. And for each of those meetings, they do a preparation. We actually mine the data for that client and kind of you know share the insights with them in those meetings. So kind of building that kind of feedback loop is common for us. For any client which is in the starter phase, which is their early adoption, they have some adoption, but they are quite having, you know, scaled to the point that they are can get the enterprise rep. There, it's much more ad hoc. So we have a much more data-driven strategy where we look at usage of our platform at a faculty level, and we try to segment them into like good users or bad users of the technology, and we try to reach out to those faculties directly, you know, as much as possible. So... Uh... Well, we're just about up on time. So I, I I think this is great. I mean, really a different perspective because like that's a natural sales motion anyways for an enterprise, like I was saying earlier on that pilot to full production rollout. So it's interesting that, that you really took that approach and it sounds like it's working well for you. Um, I guess to kind of wrap things up, a couple of questions for you is just like, you know, who's who's the favorite Who's your favorite founder or CEO that you follow that you look up to? You think is doing an amazing job right now? Well, I mean, you know, it uh, it won't be a you know non obvious answer. I mean, I I look up to like people like Elon Musk and those kind of uh, founders um, because um, I truly value uh, people who are trying to build a company for creating some new set of values, like you know something new, which is what we are trying to do as well in education. Um, so that's kind of I would say my answer. Yeah, I think that's a good one. He's come up a couple of times, as you can imagine, before. <laughs> um, what's your favorite uh, book that you've read over the past couple of years? You know, last couple of years, one book I have not finished it, but I'm reading, um, which is uh, by, you know, the founder of, uh, sorry, the CEO of Snowflake, uh, Slootman, Frank Slootman. Um, so he wrote a book about, um, you know, leveling up. I think that's the topic of it. And it's, um, you know, I found it pretty you know, exciting because, um, you know, a lot of companies, tech companies suffer. They have a great technology, but the market adoption is not that great because sometimes the team and the motion is not there to kind of for it to scale well. And he is one of the, you know, kind of the really kind of the strongest leaders out there who have scaled companies to like, you know, very large companies from very small companies. So that book was quite insightful for me. So, yeah, yeah. And it's, I mean, that's what I do not have. I have not checked it out, but it's starting to become a pattern. So it, it makes me think that I need to jump on that one. Um, okay, so w- what advice would you give to yourself, knowing what you know now after going through the corporate world and after going through, you know, a handful of years in the in the startup space, 
to, to you when you're first starting your, your company? What would you give to your advice now that you knowing what you know now? What would you go back in a time machine and tell yourself to make um, to, to warn yourself, to give yourself advice? What would you what would you do? Well, I think, you know, for me, um, you know, anybody who is kind of thinking about quitting the job and starting a company, the first thing I'll say is that, you know, entrepreneurship is not building a company because the first company that you form, it may fail, whatnot. So being prepared for the first couple of years to have the resources available, kind of look at it as a way to kind of learn as much as possible to be successful is the first thing. Kind of building a billion dollar company, right, you know, is kind of can happen, but the chances are very low. Uh, so be prepared, like be very factual and um, kind of make sure that you can live well and all that. But the second thing I'll say is that, you know, raising money is a big question, especially for SaaS companies and, you know, VC versus non-bootstrapped. I, I do think there is a path to build a company, which when I was starting up, I, you know, I kind of took the very VC route where I said, okay, I, let me go and raise a valuation as much as possible. And then let's build a company. And then I realized that, the space that we are in, we can build a large company, but it's slightly unique in terms of its growth pattern. And we have to be realistic about it. And a lot of founders, that's where they land, right? So having that mindset right from the beginning and being very clear about your plans and what's working, what's not working, and kind of having a realistic plan around fundraising will probably end, and you know, you'll probably end up in a much better spot where you'll probably own more portion of the company. At the end of the day, if it's successful, you want to own as much as possible. Um, so kind of doing that math early to kind of really be clear about what you're trying to build is something I would say, you know, I could have done a better job. It's not that, you know, we, you know, we have a great group of investors and all that, but, but I think that's where a lot of founders kind of, you know, get into trouble. Well, it, it's hard because you, you got to figure out the market, right? You know, so it's like, sometimes it's hard knowing exactly what you want to do. At least that's, that's the stories I've heard from a lot of people because, you think the market wants one thing and then after you talk to them, it's, it evolves a lot, you know? So, but I, I think that's good advice too. And, and being really clear and there's definitely massive differences with, with bootstrapping versus VC and the pressure that comes with, you know, each side of it, there's different pressures and uniqueness. And then you even got the PE route too, which is different. So, um, so I think there's great perspective last but not least, you know, where do you think the future of tech is going over the next three to five years? Well, I think, you know, technology, I mean, overall SaaS is going to grow. I mean, you know, especially in higher education, for example, like universities are actually adopting new SaaS platforms for the first time, many of them, right? So so we will see much more growth, in, especially in tech, because that's where we are playing right now. So SaaS is going to grow for sure, but we think it's going to be more partnership driven as opposed to just selling a software because at the end of the day, they have to kind of put together all these different pieces. And a lot of these schools do not know what to do, like how to even, you know, integrate technology. So, you know, kind of building organizations which are not just selling SaaS, but actually selling an outcome and being able to have that partnership with those schools and being able to play the long game with them is important to be winning in this space. Might apply to some other you know, sectors as well, uh, but that's kind of what I'm seeing as a trend. Companies that are just trying to sell a piece of technology, they tend to fail because... They just don't have that stickiness. I mean, they, you know, new thing comes in, they get replaced by somebody else. But the ones that win is we're deeply embedded into those uh, schools uh, and colleges. Any companies that come to mind that you, you see, you think are doing a really good job of that? Because I think that's a really good point that you brought up. You know, there are uh, bits and pieces. Like in this space, you have learning management systems. You have, you know, mm -hmm. there are companies like D2L, Canvas, Blackboard, and others. Like D2L, I've seen they're doing a really good job. Canvas is another one which is doing a good job. 
trying to build those deeper relationships. Um, you know, in, in the space that we play in, we try to do that as much as possible. Um, and it's also like a change in mindset because, you know, a lot of these institutions are very old school. So you have to be patient with them. Like, it's not like, you know, kind of having that patient mindset to kind of work for the long game is important. They don't want to work with companies that are just trying to sell them a software and move on. Um, so, you know, I mean, that's something we are doing right now. And I think the space is kind of coming together like that. Um, yeah. You know. I think that's a great point. That's a really good point of playing the long game and selling outcomes is so critical. Uh, Deloitte actually did a study on it. And that was one of the top three buying criteria that B2B buyers have now is, is on outcomes, right? How it's basically three. It was like outcomes, um, is it customized to me? And then, you know, basically how easy is, is it to, to implement or some, some of the key criteria. So Anyways, um, we are up on time. Shanak, um, can you please let us know where people could find you, where they could find out more about Yellow Dig, and then we'll take it from there. Yeah, so if you want to learn more, uh, our website is yellowdig.co. Um, you will find a lot of stuff about us, and you can also find me there. You can reach out to us if you want to learn more. And uh, personally, you can find me in LinkedIn. Just search for Shanak Roy, and uh, you'll find me there. I'm pretty active in LinkedIn, so love to connect. Excellent. Well, it was a real pleasure having you on the show. So thank you. And uh, we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks for inviting. Thank you for checking out the Scale Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.